see how he continues to adjust going forward to do what Bryce Harper did, which was get back to being an MVP level player for the rest of his career after that. Do you want to hand the ball at this point in the season? Ross Stripling? Yeah. <laughs> He's a Joe Madden fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's bad I have to change cats, but. <laughs> And welcome to episode number 238 of Artificial Turf Wars. Your fun fact is that um, the Blue Jays' last 12-game losing streak was in 1981. Yes, I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by fun fact keeper Joshua Housem. How are you doing, Josh? Good, although that wasn't mine. That was Greg's fact. No, but you have many more from where that came from. Uh, I give Reddit credit for that fact. We had a list of every franchise's last 12-game losing streak. That, which... that rhymed. Yes. Give Reddit credit. Maybe that maybe I shouldn't give Reddit credit ever again. <laughs> we have so much to talk about for only six games. We got run scoring, Josh. You got you want to run scoring? We got run scoring. We got seven runs a game, baby. Uh which means that, that you know that has a, a trickle-down effect on on the bullpen and the rotation, the lineup, the whole bit. Uh speaking of which, Kirk stays hot. All we hear about is Alejandro Kirk. Uh but Vlad's power came back. Springer uh, career total for home runs. He set a, an interesting milestone. Um, uh, I am going to do a small sample size alert on Matt Chapman because I'm, I'm trying to trying to shine a light on poor Chapman. Uh, of course, that means if we're scoring all these runs, the pitching hasn't gotten any worse in these victories. Alec Manoa is still awesome. Uh, uh, Jose Barrios had a big game. Kuchi did not, and then Hyunjin Ryu is not. He's not doing anything right now. He's he's resting his arm for what might be a very long time, uh, which which will lead to a bullpen and starting rotation discussion about who can you trust, Josh? It's like a it's like a bad game show. Who can you trust? Of course, we should get a theme song. Uh, Danny Jansen has hurt again, though it's not any of the injuries he's had before. Tim Meza is going to be unhurt shortly. We have your questions. We have a, a, the whole do-over thing about Joe Madden, who is a man without a job. And um, we have another do-over for a member of this podcast. And for once, it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder who it is. I wonder who it is. Uh, yeah, we got to get Nick in here. Um, so this team can score runs, as it turns out, as we all thought. Yeah. It's a, it's nice to see what happens when the team actually hits the way they're supposed to. Good things generally. I mean, again, we it's they are a four and three. Or did we record after the the last game of the winning streak? No, they had no. won seven in a row when we recorded. Right. So they were four and three uh, since we last recorded. Um, an unfortunate series loss to the Twins at home, but then a series win in Kansas City. Um, I would argue that the I, I know it does not matter how many runs you win by, et cetera, et cetera. But if Kikuchi in the final game of that Kansas City series had put up anything resembling a decent start, I think that the sweep is there is no problem. I, I think the level of competitiveness of Kansas City over the first two games was just a sad spectacle. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, the Jays just buried them in those first two. Um, they, the Kansas City didn't score a run. And then, like you said, Kikuchi came out and just stunk up the joint. He walked four guys in two-thirds of an inning, and he had to come out. They still had a shot to win. That game was 3-3 going into the fifth. <laughs> or the fourth, I guess, because that's when 
Trevor Richards came in and it wasn't tied anymore. But yeah, yeah, I mean, Kansas City's bad, but the Jays have been playing very, very well. Now that losses to the Twins notwithstanding, where they still played pretty well, they just lost. Someone marked that if you took Michael A. A. Taylor, I think, out of the first game, who had like two hits and a walk, that the Blue Jays threw a perfect game. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's bad man that's a rough night all around um yeah eight nothing seven nothing and yeah the, the twins um like i i think we should we, we got to talk about how things go downhill when the jays lose a game still um but let's talk about the good stuff everybody's talking about alejandro kirk who at this this very small moment in time given his framing ability his yeah, ability to both catch and DH might be the best catcher in baseball. I mean, he's certainly the best defense, the best catcher in the American League right now. I mean, obviously there are guys who have track records, and it's hard to say he's better than some of them. But the way he's been playing, he has played better than everybody except maybe Wilson Contreras in Chicago on the Cubs. Um, he continues to not strike out. He has started to hit for a significant amount of power. Um, he, uh, you know, he, 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 he walks more than he's except like, is there a team in walk rate? Yeah. Is there anything he doesn't do? Honestly, right now, the answer still to that bases. question is no. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the, for the next stolen base he has, will it'll be an event. Let's put it that way. He has zero for his career and that does not actually he has some in the minor league. So oh, maybe it'll happen, but. He's just mashing the ball. You know, we, we've talked a bit about Kirk in the good and the bad because he started off the season really quite poorly. And the biggest issue that he had at the beginning of the season is that he was just not driving the ball. And there wasn't really a good reason for that. Some of it might have been the baseball, but also he just was making contact with bad pitches to hit. And he's sort of gotten back to his old, more selective self and now he's got four home runs in the last 10 days. And when, when Kirk is hitting for extra bases, which he started doing back at the beginning of May, he's just a truly excellent or excellent hitter. He leads the Jays in OPS. Which is wild when you consider the, the names in this lineup. Yeah, I mean, that says as much about some of the people underperforming as it does about how <laughs> he's hitting. But... I mean, it's still, he's got a 401 on base and a 477 slugging. This Right now, he should start the All-Star game, which is unbelievable to say. Yeah, especially considering his having, once again, he skipped the upper levels of the minors when in 2020, the Jays were digging deep for a catcher and wanted to go into their, you know, I think rather than trade for, for a third stringer, they wanted to go in their own system and see what happened. So this, is, this was a baller, and he's still, what, 23 years old? Yeah, he's 23 all season. Doesn't turn 24 until November. That's just wild. Um, you know, so I hope he keeps it up, I guess is all I can say. Uh, my wife, I will say, loves to watch him because his body type is so antithetical to what he can do on a baseball field. She's amused every time he runs down to first base at, at, as fast as his very short little legs will carry him. So as slow uh, as the, he's the, he's yeah. so slow. It, it's <laughs> there, there was a play. I think it was during the Kansas city series where he hit a ball and there was a dive. The guy dove flipped it to second. And then they threw to first for the double play. So the guy dove, like he had to leave his feet 
and by the time the ball got to first, Kirk wasn't even in the frame yet. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the one thing he doesn't do is run with anything resembling moderate speed. But that's it. Because as you mentioned, he's turned into a very good defensive catcher. His like framing metrics are they're like I, I think that they show they paint a picture, but I uh, they're not gospel because the type of pitcher matters, the umpires matter. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it, but visual just you can just see that he's that that he, it's backed up that his framing stats being great are shown by the way he receives. He does pull the ball in certain ways. He's always coming towards the zone when he catches the ball, which makes it look like it's even more of a strike than it was to start. And it's working. He's just been a fantastic, fantastic player. He's the Jays MVP clearly to this point in the season. Which I, you could have bet me $100 that that would be the case. Even, you know, at any point in the season, I would be like, I, I don't I don't know if it would be Kirk, uh, but I agree with you 100%. At this moment, he's the guy. Um, moving on to the other guy with four home runs in the last 10 days, or possibly slightly less, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., his power, which was absent uh, pretty much end of April, all of May, it just just is back. is just mashing. He hit an opposite field shot, which to me looked like it was outside and off the end of the bat in Kansas City that just kept going and going. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. Yeah, it's interesting. So Vlad, since May 24th, which is a span of 13 games, has six home runs. But he's hitting 225 in that period. All he's doing is hitting home runs. It's really odd. It's almost as if, like, if when he's patient and gets a pitch to hit, he's going to crush it. But he has this habit of just grounding into double plays on the first pitch. And I don't really understand what's going on with him, why he has sort of abandoned any semblance of a patient approach. So it's kind of you take the good with the bad because obviously the power matters more. But you'd like to see him not be hitting 249, for example. Yeah, and I think that's like he's having a, a really tough process this year to get to where he wants to be, right? Um, there was a rumor slash spe no, speculation speculation on the baseball subreddit that uh, his hand was hurt worse than admitted when he got stepped on in the Yankee series, the game where he hit the three home runs. Mm -hmm. um, if you go from that game four to six weeks out, he has no power. Um, Although he did hit two home runs after that in the same game. Yeah, I would argue that in the first like hour when your hand is just throbbing and hasn't had a chance to stiffen up, maybe it's not the same thing as the next day when, you know, things are really not uh, great. I mean, we've seen we've seen that happen with guys with with, you know, bruising on um, on, you know, legs and shins and everything else. It's like, oh, yeah. I was OK for the game. And then it was worse. I'm not saying he, he was that that's the only problem. He obviously he has a a plate discipline issue this year that he hasn't had, did not have last year. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to get into the conspiracy weeds. I, I think that his approach has been objectively bad. Like you could just see it, that he was not swinging at pitches he should swing at and not hitting pitches in certain zones of the plate. But one thing I want to point out, and this is something that I think is a very good comp in Bryce Harper's age, 22 season. Similar phenom came up as a super young player, took a couple of years to really find himself, right? He won the MVP. The next year, Bryce Harper had an 814 OPS because he broke out and the league adjusted to him. They, they, they forced themselves to plan specifically for him. They hadn't, teams didn't have to do that for Vlad until last year. 
you know, they might have done so just through his reputation, but the production didn't match that. And it's clear that teams are pitching Vlad differently than they have in the past to try to get him to do whatever he's been doing. It's been sort of working and sort of not. Obviously, he's hit six home runs in the last 12 games. But it'll be interesting to see how he continues to adjust going forward to do what Bryce Harper did, which was get back to being an MVP-level player for the rest of his career after that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it reminds me of uh, Jose Bautista when he broke out as well. And then there was a period where it looked like he was unstoppable. And then the league was like, well, what if we didn't give him anything to hit? Would he get frustrated? And the answer for two, two, three months was yes. Yes, he would. And he'll start swinging at stuff. And, and there's a slumping period. And I think that's the tough part to tell about hitters and how mature they are and how aware they are of what's being done to them. How long does it take for him to adjust? Because I absolutely think he has the physical talent to adjust. Yeah. And again, like Harper, the plate discipline was part of his reputation. This is the ability to not chase despite the, he, the that he can make contact with those pitches. So it'll just be interesting to watch. He hasn't walked to the same degree as last year, but he has started walking more frequently in the last couple weeks of games. So it's the, the power is coming back and the walks are starting to come back, but the rest of the contact, like when he doesn't hit a home run, he doesn't seem to hit the ball that hard. But the, it, it just sort of seems like that's going to all meld together at some point, and it seems like it's going to happen soon. I agree. Uh, I hope. I, you're right, and I'm right. Uh, George Springer is the other guy we got to talk about with home runs. He, he, he is now in a very special spot in Major League history. He passed um, the leadoff home run, and that literally means to lead off a game home run, uh, not an inning, uh, Mark. Uh, fourth place was Ian Kinsler, so now... Uh, George has passed him and he is only like what two homers behind and three homers behind the next two on the list who now they've left my head. I knew who they were. I know Ricky Anderson's number one with like 81. I can't remember who number two and three are. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was Fourth Alfonso Soriano and Jimmy Rollins or something like that. But um, I think Soriano is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, Biggio, Soriano and Biggio. Those are the two. But uh, Craig, not Kevin, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it turns out Kevin Biggio. Prolific leadoff home run hitter. Yeah, more leadoff home runs than he has home runs in his career. Uh, so the, it's funny that Springer just seems to exude. Like I, I always think he's going to hit a home run to start a game and he, at this point. Uh, I was at the first game of that twin series. And I right before the, he came up, I turned to my friend. And it's like, I feel like he's going to hit a home run here. And then he did. And my friend's like, then he turns to me, he's like, yeah, that's not that impressive a prediction. Like, <laughs> so he just like wasn't remotely impressed because it, he does exude this now. Like the, I've talked about it factor in the way that like the, that you feel when certain guys come to the plate, when he comes to the plate against anybody who doesn't have extreme stuff in the first inning, I, I honestly expect him to go deep just because it almost seems like he's trying to. Yeah. Oh, I think he's absolutely trying to, I, I think yeah. he's, he's absolutely got it in his head that, um, I, this is something I can do. I can do it consistently. I don't really suffer for it. Um, you know, if, if I, if I think at all, I can go deep off this guy, I'm, I'm going right now. I'm going to start, start the game off. And it's awesome that he can be successful at that. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of leadoff hitters who, uh, try that sort of thing. And, and, you know, they succeed a couple of times and then they get into some bad habits. doesn't seem to have affected him. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if he can chase down Henderson. He's 31 behind him, I think. 
I think that's correct. I think it's 30 now. I think it's 81 and 51 now or something like oh, that. Oh, sorry, 31 from passing him. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, the, I, he has the power to do it, and I think he would, you know, he would have the longevity to reach that kind of number, assuming he stays somewhat healthy, even just Springer healthy, <laughs> which is not 160 games a year. The issue will just be whether he stays as a leadoff hitter because there's, you know, as you age, you tend not to keep that spot. Indeed. Yeah, it, it is tough to uh, justify that that spot. Uh, all right. Next, I, I want to talk about Matt Chapman because you scoffed, I think, last week when, when I was like, you know, Matt Chapman's coming around a bit. I didn't Do scoff. I just said that he doesn't get credit for balls that are hit to the track. Okay. So first of all, what do you think Matt Chapman's uh, – it is 26 plate appearances. So small sample size flaxen going up in the background. I hope you can all hear it. Uh, what do you think his strikeout rate is in June? Mm, I don't know. 10%? 11.5. His slash line, I will not make you guess. It is 364, 462, 591. So far, it's 1,052 OPS this month. That was, this is not including today's game, uh, I no, assume. which I believe is a one for three. I think he went. Um, so slightly less than 1,000 OPS. That's still probably the best week that Chapman's had all season. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I mean, when, when we talked about this, I did mention that, or maybe it was the week prior when we talked about it, that on, on his like baseball savant page, his numbers, his expected stats were in line with 2019, back when he was still a superstar hitter. So th th there were signs that he was doing things well. It just wasn't getting the results. And I was just saying I didn't want to give him credit for results that weren't coming yet. You know, like I wasn't suggesting that they weren't good signs, but, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. I just, I just want to say that now the results, uh, at least over the last little bit, are, have been actually been coming. Uh, let's move over yeah. to the pitching side. Yeah, and I just want to say, like, you know, you need that tiny, tiny sample size of, of June. <laughs> yeah, well. June 8th. He did also go five for 14 the last four games of May. So it's just, you know, it's obviously still small, but it's another four games. And he has been hitting better. I, I mean, his just batting average, which is a dumb stat, and we all know that it's a dumb stat. But he was hitting 183 on May 17th, which, you know, that's terrible. And now he's hitting 222. So obviously the overall numbers are still not perfect, but it's going in the right direction for sure. Which is good because I'm going to slag on him very shortly when we talk about Alec Manoa. <laughs> yeah, it, earned. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so Alec Manoa has had two starts since we last um, we last did a podcast. The first one was eight innings against the Twins. And I, I saw him, uh, he left the game. With it was the no, White Sox. Sorry, White Sox. Left the game. The That was the 8-3 game, right? The last game of the winning streak. Left the game with no runs allowed. No, he, he had given up two of them. Uh, what? But because of Matt Chapman. That's right. Because Matt Chapman doesn't know, just throw to first base. Uh, he, he normally does. It, I don't know what he was thinking. He was, he was about to go the short way and get to second. He looked over, the runner was at second. And then by the time he looked back at first, the runner was at first. And he well, had no play. What happened was that they were in a shift. And normally in the shift, when the third baseman fields the ball, the shortstop covers second base, even though normally it would be the second baseman. Because they were shifted to for the right-handed batter. 
or sorry, for the left-handed batter. And but the problem was that Bo Bichette ran towards the baseball. So when Chapman looked up to throw to second, there was no one standing on st- on second yeah, base waiting a- for Espinal the throw. Espinal was like two two steps away still from yeah. second base. I think Espinal actually probably would have beat him, and I think Chapman realized that afterwards. But he looked up, saw Espinal wasn't there, then looked to first, and then saw he no longer had to play there, and then looked back to second, and he had no time for anybody, and then three runs scored. <laughs> so I mean, any I mean, he fully acknowledged that was his mistake. He did the the chest tap um, after the play. It, uh, extremely rare laps from Chapman, so I'm not going to hold it against it. But it did cost Manoa a couple of runs because there were two outs, I believe, at that point. He was just yep. try, trying to get the last out. Um, then Manoa follows it up with six innings of shutout ball. So without the Matt Chapman uh, brain cramp, uh, that would have been 14 innings, 14 shutout innings in a row from Manoa. Yeah, and also it sucked because it was the first three earned run game of the season for Manoa, all because Chapman forgot to make a play. Yeah. Holy Hannah. Uh, Manoa is awesome. Yeah. (laughs) On the flip side, it's still fine. Still perfectly fine. Yeah, that raised that those three runs raised his ERA to 1.98. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. No, no. I mean, but yeah. So you you watch Manoa pitch. Stuff-wise, and we said this before, right? It doesn't, it's not overpowering, but he's so good placing his fastball up and in specifically but up in general that he can just make these other pitches look so tough and it's one of the things that gossman was doing but he's we, we don't we're not really going deep into gossman he had a bad start where people weren't swinging at his splitter but it's what he was doing as well when he was dominating is the fastball was up and then the other stuff was starting there and then going down. And it just makes it so tough to hit. And it's one of the things that Barrios was not doing up until his last game, where he just couldn't get that fastball up when he needed to or the breaking ball down. But Manoa just seems to consistently, ever since he's come to the big leagues, be able to do that. And that's really hard. Yeah. But uh, it, I mean, it clearly works if you can do it. Uh, he, he gets a lot of people looking real silly. Even if he doesn't get the strikeouts, he does. He he hasn't had any problem with hard contact all year. And there was one moment in 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 that start against Chicago where Manoa shook off nine times. It was crazy. J- just every single pitch at every single location, he shook to something and then struck out the guy looking. And it's just like you gotta love that. <laughs> this is what I want and where I want it. And you do it through a comeback two seamer that froze the hitter for a strikeout. Uh, you made the note about Barrios there. Would you like to elaborate on his finding the secret to a good start? Because he's he's had trouble unlocking that for this most of the season. Yeah. So. I think the biggest problem with Barrios, I mentioned his fastball, but that wasn't what it was. When you think of Jose Barrios, do you think of a specific pitch? Uh, me? No. Okay, well, his curveball is easily his his bread and butter. It's the only pitch that really generates swing and miss, swings and miss with consistency. He's got a good fastball and a good changeup, but his curveball is what he's always used to get strikeouts. And the thing that he hadn't been able to do, and I, I, I've if you go on my Twitter, I can I can retweet these tomorrow for, for people who want to see it. You can see where he had been locating his curveballs throughout the season. And they were staying sort of to his arm side and slightly higher into the strike zone. 
And then in this game, he just wasn't doing that. He was getting them back down and into a lefty. So onto a glove to his glove side and then down and out of the zone. And that's where he's always thrown it because it looks like a strike, looks like a strike, not a strike, swing and miss. And this season it's been looks like a strike, looks like a strike. Oh, it's a strike. Here's a home run. And that's just what he does when he can get his curveball down because it's such a good curveball. It makes all of his pitches play up. And that's what he's doing. They got 13 strikeouts in seven innings. Which is a career high um, for those of you who keep, were keeping track. Yeah, and I don't expect him to be getting 13 strikeouts no. and setting career highs every time out. No, that, that, that is, like, that's opponent dependent, right? Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, just sometimes people have great games. But it is interesting that, you know, I think that the shortened spring or something just may have affected Barrios because he never found his release point on the curveball. Even in spring training, I remember he kept saying that he couldn't get his curveball to where he wanted it, couldn't get his curveball to where he wanted it. And then he just couldn't do it all season until the 4th of June. And then it was there and he found it. So hopefully he can keep it. And now we go into a dark place. A dark <laughs> place in the rotation that has uh, Yusei Kikuchi and no longer has Hyunjin Ryu. Uh, Kikuchi has, uh, speaking of a guy who can't find it, holy crap, does Yusei Kikuchi have a problem sorting himself out before the end of the first inning. He's been, he's had trouble in the first inning, I think three outings in a row now. Like the, is the, is it the pregame routine? Is it the switch to the mound? Is it, I don't know. We'll hear everything, every possible speculation. And, and I don't actually have an answer, but it is certainly uh, disheartening and, and kind of awkward for the manager to watch a guy go out and, and throw, you know, not very many strikes and a whole lot of pitches in the first inning while he tries to figure out his release point, which one would assume should have been pretty locked in in the bullpen. Yeah. So it was, and then what's weird is that the last two games specifically, the one against Minnesota, he just got crushed in the first. Inning. He gave up three home runs in four and two thirds, but he gave up two homers in the first, I believe it was. And sometimes that happens. You just get hit. The twins were hitting everything in that game. But this game against the the Royals, which where they where they did not get the sweep, he walked four batters in the first inning. And some of that is Zach Collins. I don't know why you'd ever arrange it so that Zach Collins is catching for Yusei Kikuchi, the guy who can't receive a strike to save his life, to the guy who needs the most receiving skills. <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, he can't take all the blame for four walks. And that's been a bit of a problem for Kikuchi this year. The walks are way higher than they've ever been in his career. And it's – it. it ties nicely with his poor starts when he's walking more guys. What's weird is that they, the Blue Jays clearly want him to rely more on the fastball, which you would think would be easier to throw strikes with. Yeah. So this, I wonder if part of it is his, his release and the way he, th like the way he throws the ball and why he relied so heavily on cutters previously when he was with Seattle is that, if his arm is dragging a little bit, the four seam will just fly up and away to a righty. Whereas the cutter will have this spin that it will come out of his hand still in the direction of the plate. So I don't know if that, I mean, this is just a total guess, right? I'd have to look at tons and tons of footage to see if that's actually what's been happening. But just the little bit that I've seen, I wonder if that's part of it. Um, it, you are a better observer of pitch uh, release than I am. Um, Hyunjin Ryu, I think 
you and I both had our suspicions last time around that, that this might not be a, a light uh, put up your feet and rest your arm for a couple of weeks for Ryu. And now there's noise that the MRI has has concerning signs or something in it, which it doesn't seem clear cut. And it seems like really bad news for Ryu. Uh, whether it's bad news for the Jays or not, I guess it's a, a slightly different thing. But um, going to be a while before we see him again. Yeah, very ominous because he went on the IL with, what was it, forearm tightness, tightness and elbow inflammation, inflammation or something. Yeah. And he's going for a second opinion. I mean, you hear those things. That sounds like Tommy John, right? Yep. Uh, he's already had it, I believe, when he was younger. But I don't I mean, obviously, it, it could be very bad. And if he gets it, he's probably never going to throw another pitch for the Blue Jays. And that's well, that'll be sad because I really like Ryu and he's been for the most part, pretty good. He was very good since coming back from the first IL stand. He was actually very, very good. Yeah. And yeah, so it, it'll be sad. And obviously you mentioned that it could not, it might not necessarily be the worst thing just because of how well Ross Stripling is pitching. But I still hope, especially for just from the, from, for him and from a Jay's depth perspective, that it's not that. And he just needs a couple months off or something. Yeah, it is definitely better to have Ross Stripling as a luxury rather than a necessity. Yeah. Also, I just just going back, I just looked at Kikuchi's game log. I didn't see much of the first inning today, and he only threw forty two percent fastballs. So I don't know. What, Zach Collins is just the worst. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> he can't. He should, should never catch. Um. All right. Let us let us talk about Ross Stripling, whose praises. Well, Ross Stripling in the context of guys we want to give the ball to, because I mean, certainly last. Uh, podcast we sung Stripling's praises that he will he will do anything you ask him to do he will eat up two or three innings the day after he closes in an emergency situation uh, now he will start for you and he will throw five shutout innings against the Kansas City Royals and with only one base runner Michael and some, A. Taylor <laughs> and 84 pitches I think yeah no, 56 pitches. Oh, 56 pitches. pitches. Yeah, that was it. It was like, oh, I guess he has to go because he's really not stretched out. But, man, I feel like he could have given you six in or any other circumstances without a blinking. Yeah, they, they said that they were hoping to get three or four out of him based on the pitch count. And he gave him five, which – so when he, when he left the game, so technically he didn't leave until the next pitcher came out. But he was done after five. And it was three-nothing. I mean, the Jays, the Jays had not scored their next three runs, which they scored in the top of the sixth. And, you know, obviously until the sixth. And if he was coming out after three or four, it could have been a very different ball game. Obviously, the bullpen did not end up giving up any other runs. But the guys that came out to pitch that game do have a habit of giving up runs. And if the leverage is different, maybe the results are different. So him being able to get through those five innings made a huge difference. Yeah, it was awesome. Um and, and again, we saw Stripling have a very good stretch last year. So he is capable of putting it all together. Um, we know he gets exposed if he's if he's seeing, you know, that third third time through the order. They've avoided that, like the plague with him, uh, because they don't believe his, you know, his pitch mix leads to him having success third time through. And he's accepted that. So um, obviously it's in his interest to keep that pitch count down and to keep keep the uh, the order marching by. Um yeah, he gets I a do chance every fifth day now. Yeah, and I think he's doing a good thing though. He's using his changeup way more than he ever has, including to right-handed batters. So 
if you even going back to last year, he threw 50% four seam fastballs, which, you know, he throws 93, which is not horrible. It's not, it's not some other engine were you right. But yeah. this year it's 35% fastballs, four seamers, 7% sinkers, which is basically a new pitch for him. 11% curves, 22% sliders and 24% changeups. And that mix of five different offerings is really helping him because he doesn't have big power stuff, but it, if you can keep hitters off base or, you know, or rather keep their timing off, which is what Jay Happ did for three years for the Blue Jays, you can really succeed without elite stuff. Indeed. So let's get right down to it. To whom in this bullpen do you want to hand the ball at this point in the season? Ross Stripling. <laughs> Jordan Romano. I'm okay with Jimmy Garcia. Uh, Adam Simber, if there's nobody on base. Now we're starting to get a little fuzzy. No, David Phelps has been awesome. Right. Sorry, David Phelps. I forgot Phelps. But we, we do have, uh, well, Vasquez is now hurt. He twisted his ankle. Um, but but we have, we have Trevor Richards. No, 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 no. So just while we're on Trevor Richards, I want to talk about this because we got a little fooled by Trevor Richards when he came over last year. He had the lowest walk rate of his career in his 32 inning sample with the Blue Jays. And it sort of made him look like a slightly better pitcher than he was. He still had the home run problem that he's always had. But when you don't walk the guy first, it's acceptable when you don't, you know, because he got a lot of strikeouts and he didn't give up a lot of hits. This year, the walks are back sky high, actually the highest they've ever been. And the home runs are the highest they've ever been, including the first month when the dead ball. <laughs> so <laughs> I just don't trust him anymore. As long as he's not locating his pitches, he just isn't good enough to pitch in leverage. I trust the other four guys we talked about, and I trust Tim Meza, who's coming back, as you alluded to at the top of the show. But that's it. Julian Merriweather, Trent Thornton, Jeremy Beasley, uh, Andrew Vasquez. I don't even know. Well, he's Taylor Sato has been on the IL for two months, but uh, it sort of gets to the point where it's like these back of the bullpen guys. Sure, they're back of the bullpen guys, so it doesn't matter that much, but I don't trust them at all. Well, I mean, there is the, we alluded to this, Ross Stripling in the rotation means Trent Thornton is your long man. That's not the same kind of long man, right? That's not the same guy trying to get through three innings for you. Trent Thornton is walking people and, and chewing up pitches and maybe not getting through two innings before he's he's tapped out um and i yeah. and i don't want to minimize what thornton has actually done this year because his performance to this point including today's game has been quite good i mean you know trent thornton has a 305 era and it's era so again there's he hasn't given up any actually an unearned run so we'll, we'll credit that but he still has nine walks in 20 innings. And it's a bit of smoke and mirrors. And it's again, it's like it's just not the same kind of thing you can trust as you were talking about. Yeah, especially given the larger body of work where we know Trent Thornton has has problems with uh, things that do catch up to him. Uh, one last note before we go to the questions is Danny Jansen, who has world beating numbers when he's healthy, is once again through no fault of his own in this case, not healthy. He has a broken finger. Yeah. 
This is where I say something about catch a break and you groan and then we move, <laughs> we move on to the next topic. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> no, but just quickly, they don't think it's bad. Um, it's the pinky, which is the best one to break, uh, theoretically, in terms of the ability to perform certain, you know, baseball related things. But he's still out again. And it's just really been an unfortunate thing for Danny Jensen. And it meant Zach Collins was catching. And not Gabriel Moreno, which I thought was a little interesting. Yeah, that'll be even more interesting if if this goes on and Zach Collins continues to hit like he did the last time he was up. Um, he had a home run today, but home run yeah. and a double actually. He but the thing is Zach Collins can hit. I mean, he's not he's not a good hitter per se, but he can take walks and he has power. So if that guy's getting as your backup catcher, that the offense plays. Just that he's not a catcher. We shall see uh, in the near future. But what we shall see in the nearest future is your questions. We're going to come back with them right after this. Well, I, was rolling down the road in some cold I know you couldn't wait for it. It is our return. And our return at this point is followed by your questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Yes. Uh, well, not repeat it, but I'll say it. Craig Kennedy, at Craig with a K, Kennedy with a K. If you could snap your finger and fix one player on the roster, who would you choose? So I'm going to take this as to fix, you have to bring them back to some previous level. It can't be turn someone into something they've never been. Fair. I was tempted to say Chapman, but as we pointed out, he seems to be have seems to have started to do that on his own. And same with Vlad. I'm gonna go with Julian Merriweather because if they could have the guy that that he looked like the first time he came up and then at the beginning of last year before the sticky stuff and before a yet another injury these bullpen issues are solved because that guy can go two innings and strike out all six batters. So that's my answer. I think that would really help them. I am going to go with Hyunjin Ryu because topical and Ooh, I believe good that, one. you know, guy who the whole team hinged on Hyunjin Ryu is way better than, well, we'll see if he comes back, Hyunjin Ryu. And definitely there's a, there's a fix there to get back to world-class. Um, Very yeah. good one. That's better than Merriweather, I think. But... <laughs> More innings, anyway. Yeah. L at Ellie Yelly Hart says, any surprises around the league so far that you think could impact the Jays? Do you want to take it? I am... I shouldn't be surprised, but I am surprised that the first four places in the AL East are currently best team in baseball, wild card one, wild card two, wild card three. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> My answer was actually going to be very similar to that, that the surprises are how bad the White Sox have been. The White Sox are 26 and 27 as of record, as of, as of when we're recording this. And the White Sox were supposed to be the best team in the AL Central. And what that was going to mean is that a team like Minnesota, who was always built to be good despite their horrible play last year, and a team like the Angels, who we're going to get to, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> would be making this wild card fight a little more dramatic. 
it's not to say these teams won't get back in the race, especially the White Sox. I mean, they're only a game under 500, and they haven't gone any. They've been hitting worse than the Blue Jays were, despite being the, like the Blue Jays, one of the best offenses in the league last year. So, I think that that's going to make any that that's the biggest surprise that it has impacted. But as is going to impact, I think it's the improvement of the Orioles. The Blue Jays haven't played Baltimore yet, and that's a little unfortunate because their young players are starting to play a little bit better. Their bullpen, their their relievers who were so bad last year, not so bad this year. And Adley Rushman, their superstar number one prospect in baseball catcher, hasn't quite found his footing yet. He's only been up for about a week and a half, two weeks. I expect him to be a little more ready by the time he faces the Blue Jays. And again, they haven't played them yet, so they're going to get all these guys as they're getting better. So I think that could negatively impact the Blue Jays. All right. Last question from Jarrett S. at JRud19, who I thank so much for submitting the question after my very last second tweet of the question to prove that my strategy is valid and there's nothing <laughs> wrong that Josh can complain about. Says, by well, the way, this is the Charlie Montoyo of using one thing to say a strategy is valid from last week so just putting you on notice there greg i like that charlie has stayed in the big leagues believing that and i'm going to stay on this <laughs> podcast believing that jared jared asks while it will be nice to not play tampa bay boston and the yankees so much going forward will the more balanced schedule actually improve the jay situation or will it just make every team in the al east a bit better record wise it's a deep question you can answer first the answer is yes it, both to both. Uh, it'll improve the Jay situation in the sense that assuming like this makes a lot of assumptions about team quality and things going forward. But let's just say that it stays somewhat constant for the next few years. The Jays will be more likely to make the postseason because the AL East will be beating up on the other divisions more. And it'll make their records better compared to everybody else which you mentioned in the second part. It'll make every team they at least a bit better record-wise. So it won't make winning the division any easier. Actually, you could argue it makes it harder because you have fewer head-to-head -head games to make up. Uh, right now, the Jays are well behind the Yankees, and they've lost quite a few games to the Yankees. I think they're two and four against them. So, or I, I might have that wrong. They might have played nine games against them already. But... Anyway, it, those intra-division games are when you can really make up ground. So it'll make it harder to win the division for sure. That balance schedule is not in effect till next year, right? Correct. The, yeah. So it goes from playing 19 games against your division mates to 14. Yeah, which is a big swing times four teams, right? Yeah, and you play every NL team once, plus your your rival twice. For those of you who weren't aware of one of the many, many changes that the new CBA has brought us. And that concludes the questions. And if we've concluded the questions, that means we have to move over to a do-over. Silently, apparently. <laughs> All right, what would I do different? Well, while I've never actually made a mistake, there have been a few, let's call them stananks, that could be worthy of a do-over. This one's for you, Josh. You, your little stanank last week, you have to cop to it, is uh, you yeah. were nice enough to attribute some stat digging to Minor Leaguer, who is, uh, you know, a longtime Blue Jays Twitter, uh, Twitterer. And, uh, and you were wrong. 
Yes. <laughs> no, I so I seen I thought I was talking to my, to minor leaguer when about the Jays having never swept a four game series in the Pacific time time zone. It wasn't him. It was James G. Uh, James at underscore in at underscore underscore to who we've referenced on this podcast many times and is usually the purveyor of weird facts. And I really should have known that one. But then again, minor leaguer has lots of them, too. But do over. It was my fault. James. Cool stat. Sorry for getting that wrong. Also, James, I still remember that you attended every single Blue Jays home game in one season. And that's where your profile pick is from is from that season. Um, Holy moly. Yeah. 81 home games. I don't even know, man. <laughs> That's amazing. It is, isn't it? Hey, now, you know, you can say he did it. So uh, shout out to you for that accomplishment. I do not know what year that was. I just remember seeing it at the end of the year in all of your pictures. And I was like, holy moly, that's dedication. Uh, speaking of dedication, Joe Madden, dedicated baseball manager of nobody right now. Certainly dedicated to a bit. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we can call this a stenank. Well, because this, I don't, this might have ex accelerated his firing. So, as we mentioned earlier on, Joe Madden is no longer the manager of the Angels. They lost 12 games in a row, and that was apparently too much for Perry Manazian and Artie Moreno. The night before, after the 12th loss, Sam... I don't know if you can hear my cat meowing there. Yeah, Sorry about upset. that. He's upset. He's a Joe Madden fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's bad. I have to change cats. But <laughs> Sam Blum, who's a reporter in, in LA, had this exchange where he asked the question, do you feel like the team's still competing and fighting the way you want right now? Like, it's a little inane, mm -hmm. but that's the question you're gonna, kind of question you're going to get asked when you lose 12 games in a row. And Madden decided that was the time to get in a fight. <laughs> he started with what do you think and then Blum's response was I mean you've lost 12 in a row and then Madden kept wanting Blum to answer the question and then Blum, Madden and Blum kept saying I'm not the manager of a team I don't have this access I'm asking for your opinion and Madden kept challenging Blum and the PR staff tried to get him to move on and Blum kept being like Madden's asking me these things I want to move on <laughs> <laughs> and it just went back and forth I, I you know you you could see it. If you just search for Blum Madden, you'll find this. But it's just insane. I, why would you pick that time to get angry with a reporter? And then he was gone the next day. And I, I look, it's obviously the, the losing led to his firing. And the fact that I don't think Joe Madden's a very good manager. I mean, he intentionally walked a guy with the bases loaded in the fourth inning. And he wasn't so, Barry Bonds or Mike Trout. Yes, Corey Seager, good player, but not, no. Anyway, and he got fired. And I think that this probably accelerated. It just sort of said, just pushed Manasian over the edge and said, look, this guy's, he's lost it. He's, he just, it, it's over for him. Yeah. So if Joe, if you'd like to, to come on the podcast, because as I understand it, you have a certain amount of time on your hands that you might not have been expecting to have and are to fill in your day. Uh, we'd love to have you even just for you to explain that that was the absolute wrong time to pick a fight and you should have probably just smiled and said yes i think they're still being competitive uh and yeah and then after we have that chat we don't we will never talk about it again as we generally agree to on the do over here um i would also like to highlight that i learned something today about joe madden's uh reputation as it were 
There is apparently somewhere on the internet a forum post that went back and forth for uh, an entire decade. The original title was, Is Joe Madden Smart or Does He Just Wear Glasses? <laughs> uh yeah eventually it got locked down but i mean uh that i think that's a question that the universe is going to be asking until joe madden is is no longer in baseball because as you said joe madden does weird things and then people go oh something worked he must be a genius yeah all right we've covered the do-overs we've covered the questions we've covered everything that we thought was important and interesting that happened this week in blue jays land and that means i ask you if you have a final thought i do so before when i said that kirk was the clear mvp of the team right now there was one other player who would have been in consideration at least up until kirk just got ridiculously hot and it's a guy who's actually pretty hot right now himself santiago espinal Early on, like way back in spring training when he was hitting those balls extra hard, I believe I said that if he could become the same kind of contact hitter but have 10 home run power, it could be a difference maker. Well, he's got five now, and it's less than two, less than halfway through the season. And he's now, he's at, his OPS is up to 797. It was above 800 entering today, and he's hitting 290 and playing all-world defense at second base. He looks like he has all-star game consideration, which is crazy to think. It is, especially where we were two years ago with Santiago Espinal, maybe part-time infielder. Yep. Um, I, my final thought is a very strange one. Uh, I, I read a post this week about a uh, person from England who was going to attend a minor league baseball game um, and asked... Uh, if uh, sorry, no, this was a major league baseball game. Uh, if it was okay to keep a ball that might get hit to them in the stands, what 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 the uh, what should happen at that point? Uh, I am amused by the fact that baseball is like the only sport that lets you keep the the balls that go astray. Oh, <laughs> by the way, on that note, that is really funny. On that note, Zach Collins has to go to the Myers. He had a home run right to Zach Hampel. No, no, man. Hampel caught it in the air. It was so, oh. hit so much right at him. And I understand Zach to Zach. I get that. There might be some brotherhood there, but we we just can't have that on this team. Absolutely cannot. Nope. If you don't know who Zach Hampel is, consider yourself lucky. <laughs> well put. Which is to say that you are Joshua Housem at Josh Housem, and I am Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And this has been episode number 238 of Artificial Turf Wars, and we will talk at you next week.